seated. One of the things I forgot to mention in uh, our announcement time was uh, just to remind you about filling out your information card in your bulletin, and uh, you can uh, lay that, uh, put that in uh, any of the offering plates at the doors as you exit. We'd love to have a record of your attendance. Uh, we really are glad that you're here, so let's pray together and get into this, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for faith. Uh, I think... Um, uh, even more than any other time I can really remember, it's really vital uh, that your people uh, kind of walk in and have faith. And so we want to do that, and we want to do that well in this culture. We want to be examples of what a faithful life looks like. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let me kind of start out by asking you maybe kind of a heavy question uh, for July 4th weekend. But what is it that makes a life meaningful? Right, what is it that makes your life meaningful? Where do you find meaning? Where do you find purpose? This was a, a recent kind of survey uh, put out by Pew Research, kind of asking Americans in particular about what is it that makes a meaningful and purposeful life. And 69%, uh, the, the highest kind of level, 69% uh, answered family, uh, 34% answered career, 23% answered finances and money, 20% answered faith and spirituality, 19% answered friends, and 19% answered activities and hobbies. So what is it that makes a meaningful and purposeful life? I think it's an interesting question. We tend to think a lot about meaning and purpose, and I think a lot of times it's even in the back of our head. We're not even intentionally thinking about it, but we think a lot about meaning and purpose, but we don't often think a lot about threats to our meaning and threats to our purpose. Consider money, for example. Money is a primary mission and purpose. Earning more and more money might go well for a while, and then a global recession hits, double-digit inflation, $16 a gallon gas, right? All these things happen, right? And all of a sudden, money as a mission and purpose isn't running so hot, right? Leisure as a mission and purpose might go well for a while. And then you look ahead at the calendar and you're like, oh my goodness, the next three months we are so busy. We don't have any time for leisure or any time for fun. And all of a sudden as a mission, as a primary mission and purpose, it's not so hot. Family as a primary mission and purpose might go well for a while, but then uh, your kids uh, move across the country or there's a relational breakdown. There's tension in the family. And listen, I believe what... Uh, Paul writes in Timothy is exactly true that everything God created is good and is meant for our joy. So God created your family and rest and resources, and it's good to find joy in those things. But for our primary purpose and our primary mission, I think we want something that is a little more threat-free something that's a little more stable in that way, so that when the storms of life come that we were singing about earlier a couple songs ago, when the storms of life come, our mission and our purpose remains the same. And I think Christianity, we're going to talk about this a little bit today, Christianity and faith offers this. It offers a threat free mission and purpose that the storms of life cannot touch. Here's what the scripture says. I want to show you a variety of scriptures here just uh, to start thinking about what the Bible says about mission and purpose. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand, beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whatever, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 1 John 2.17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 Peter 4.10, and each of you has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 2 Timothy 1.9, God who saved us and called us into a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And Colossians 1.16, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So I think as you kind of work through the scriptures that talk about our mission and our purpose in Christ, I think a couple phrases begin to emerge. All right, the first kind of mission and purpose I would say is with God would be the first phrase that I identify, that you can go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, and we, in that very first story that you read in the Bible, we were created as human beings to live in a beautiful, perfect garden with God. We were created to be in a relationship with him. So sin altered that purpose. Jesus came, and part of Jesus' work was to pay for that sin, and to forgive us so that we could have the life we were created to have with God in this life and in the next. So part of what Jesus came to do was to give us our life back, to give us our with God life back. So one of our main purposes on this planet is to live with God as part of his family. So this is why you probably have noticed we have actually incorporated this into our mission here. But throughout the Bible, you see this family language that describes our relationship with God. God is our father. We are his adopted children. We are spiritual brothers and sisters with one another. And for those of you that are raising kids, you know how this work works. That your kids are with you, maybe more than you'd like. They're with you, <laughs> Right? They're living in the same house as you, but they are not living with you in terms of equality in decision-making, equality in power and authority. The kids are the kids, and the parents are the parents. Right? You run the household. I know it may not feel like this day-to-day, but you run the household. You make the decisions. You lead the family. You're all together in this with life. You're with one another all the time, but you are the parents, and, you, and they are the children, And there is stability and joy and blessing that comes in your household because you are good parents. But the blessing of the the household is not that there's equality and authority. There's not equality and authority. You're the parents. I'm preaching now, right? You're the parents, right? They're the kids. I know it doesn't always feel that way. But part of living the with God life is recognizing that we are with him, but there's not equality there. He's our father. That he runs the household. 
All authority, the scripture says, in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so as you're thinking about the big issues of the day, right, our, our nation has really gone uh, into a big debate about life, issues of life or sexuality or politics. Really, would I think about that? Or what the party I belong to thinks about that? Or even what my parents think about that? It really doesn't matter. The with God life says all power and all authority are his. So what he thinks about this is the most important because he's in charge of the household. So with God, for God, is the other phrase I would point out. That we are created to give honor and glory to God with our lives. We are designed to live a for God life. And here's what I would say to you. I don't think very much in life will make sense. I really, really believe this. Not very much in life will make sense until we understand that we were created for the for God life. We were created to give honor and glory to him. Career, there will come a time in everybody's career where they will wonder, why am I doing this? I have made a huge mistake, right? Everybody has a moment in their career like, why am I doing this? What am I doing with my life? And I'm telling you, if it's for the money or prestige or power, what happens in that moment is you will have a crisis of career uh, because that will leave us wanting more. But if your answer to that is, what am I doing with my life? If it's for God, that I work hard, and I work honestly, and I, I work differently in my line of work because I am living a for-God life to give honor and glory to him, that's sustainable. Family, if the primary reason you got married or had kids is for your happiness, uh, there will come a time where there's conflict in your family. There'll come a time where there's conflict with your kids. And if it's all about your happiness, you won't navigate that conflict very well. But if it's for God that our family exists to give honor and glory and praise to God in all things. And there are tough days, but we're going to love each other through it. We're going to show grace in it. And we're going to honor God even in our conflict. That's a mission. Money, if the primary purpose of your life is money, there will come a time where the economy downturns or inflation is high and things are rough and groceries are expensive. And all of a sudden, you don't know how to live out your main and chief purpose anymore. But if your purpose is for God, then whatever money you have or whatever money you don't have, whatever the economic climate, you can still live on purpose and with a purpose for God. Last one is that we are created by God. Right? And it's true that you were created by God for a purpose. I hope you understand this. That you have gifts. You have abilities. You have passions that were given to you by God. And so we seek to serve him and honor him with those abilities because they're from him. So listen, it's not that you're not going to earn some money as a Christian. You, you are. And it's not that you're not going to have some great vacations. You are. It's not that you're not going to have a family. You, you are. It's not that you're not going to have a, a great career. You are. All those things can be true. But if we, remember, if we remember that the chief purpose of our life is from God, for God, and with God, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, it's just a different way of thinking. So with all that groundwork being laid, here's what Tim Keller says about this on the screen for you. He says, Christianity offers a meaning and purpose in life that suffering, that, uh, that suffering not only cannot take away from you, but can only enhance. It can enable you to face death without any fear. And that's important, right? 
Because it would seem that the biggest threat to any mission and purpose would be the presence of suffering. That's the biggest threat to any mission and purpose. That your, your purpose isn't money or career or fame or family or health or, or whatever. All of those things can come under the threat of, of suffering, a pandemic hits or a bad diagnosis or a downward economy. All of that stuff is a threat to those purposes. But this is Keller's point. With God, for God, created by God, it is a mindset that not only can suffering not take away from you, but suffering can actually enhance it and make it bigger. And this is not just Tim Keller's point. This is the Apostle Paul's point in the book of Romans. Here's what he says. What shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how much will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those that God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Should trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, neither anything in the present, nor the future, nor any powers, either height, or depth, or anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this text, don't you? That when you think about the with God life, the for God life, he says about God that first of all, he's for us. I hope you know that he's for you. He loves us. The evidence of this love is found in the fact that his son gave himself up for us. And then he, Paul asks a really important question. This son who gave himself up for us, will he not graciously give us all things? I think that sometimes this is the fear with the with God life. Sometimes the fear is that I'm going to be deprived of something. I'm going to miss out on something. That this life will not bring me joy. And the truth is that God is a God of blessing. It's not all trouble and hardship and persecution. God is good. It also won't look like the blessing of this world. It's going to be better than that. I hope you know that too. It'll be better because you will be found in the one for whom you were created. So I love the questions of this text. When you live this with God, for God, life, here's the questions. What can separate you from God? I love it so much because you can be separated from your money. How many of you know that's true? I pumped gas the other day, $92, right? You can be separated from your money, right? You can be separated from your career. You can be separated from your experiences. I, I told you this story before, but in 2013, uh, for our anniversary, Cheryl and I uh, decided we were going to go to New York City. Um, and uh, her sister, Victoria, was going to come and watch Sam. And it was going to be in February. We we're going to do kind of like a Broadway vacation, just the two of us. And uh, we decided to do that. And it is one of the biggest travel nightmares that we've ever endured, uh, that, that trip was. That we were supposed to travel to New York City. And we got to St. Louis to get on our flight. And a massive massive snowstorm hit New York City. It was actually in the national news. Huge, huge snowstorm, and our flight got canceled. 
And so they said, well, why don't you drive over to Indianapolis from St. Louis, drive to Indianapolis, and uh, there'll be a flight there tomorrow morning, and we think that we'll be able to get out. So we get over to Indianapolis, and they clear our flight. New York cleared our flight to be able to come over. And I am telling you, there wasn't even snow in the forecast in Indianapolis. We got onto the plane, and a freak thing happened. It just started snowing, like really, really hard. And we're boarding, we're, we're boarded on the plane, we're sitting in our seat, we're grateful that we're going to be able to fly out, and all of a sudden that, the captain comes up and he says, I can't take off in this, I'm, I'm sorry, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to deboard. And so we got off the, and we're like, this trip was only three days to begin with, we're already on day two, we're not going to get out to day three. We're, we canceled uh, the trip and decided to, to not do it, we went to a steakhouse in Indianapolis, and then we drove up to Michigan to watch Michigan State lose a basketball game in spectacular <laughs> fashion. Best anniversary ever, right? <laughs> right? You can be separated from stuff like that. You can be separated from your experiences. Some of you, a lot of pain around it. You can be separated from family. You can be separated from money. You can be separated from your net worth. He's asking, who can separate you from God? Having our purpose in life in temporary things, we can be separated them, from them. But who can separate you from your God? No one can charge. Right, Paul knew about being charged. I, I told you the story a couple weeks ago, but before Paul was a church planter, he was a church persecutor. And he was on the road to Damascus one day, and he just had, Jesus kind of supernaturally showed up to him, and he ended up giving his life. He said, Paul, I'm calling you to be a Christian. And Paul's like, done. You know, I'm, I'm in. You know, because resurrected Jesus appeared uh, to Paul, and Paul became a Christian, and then very early in his life as an apostle, he starts showing up to churches like ours. And he'd show up to preach. And there'd be someone in the back row that's like, he imprisoned my sister. He killed my cousin. He hurt my mom or my dad. And Paul's up there trying to proclaim God's love and trying to proclaim, and, and the early church was like, no, we don't like this. This guy was terrible. This guy hurt my family. Why, why on earth should we listen to this guy? And they started to ask these questions like, hey, what right do you have to even call yourself a Christian? We know who you are. We know what you are, Paul. And maybe you felt that way before. That somebody in your life uses your past on a regular basis against you. And they bring charge and they bring accusation. And a lot of times when that happens, a lot of times you just kind of want to run and hide from God and from others, because the weight of your past uh, bears so heavy on your soul. And Paul says, well, who can bring a charge against you? He says, here's, here's what Paul rem reminded himself of when people did this to him. He said, it's God who justifies. It's God who justifies. And he's talking about the gospel here. And he says, man, that is, I did those things that they're charging me with. I did hurt your cousin. I did imprison your sister. I, I did oversee the execution of your, your law. Paul said, I did those things, but God justifies. And he's reminding them of the good news of the gospel. That Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and he forgives our sin so that we can be made right with God in this life and the next. And Paul says, I am justified by God. Who can bring, who can bring a charge against me? I'm forgiven. And we want to remember that for ourselves. 
right? We want to remember that for ourselves, that who can bring a charge against you? You may remember your past, and you may remember your former sins, and the weight of that may bear really heavy on you, and you need to know that in Christ you are forgiven. We want to remember that for ourselves, and we also want to remember that in how we treat others. Jesus is the great grace shower, but you know what Satan's called? The great accuser. Who do we wish to be more like? The grace giver or the accuser? Right? And so in the way that we treat other people, we, also, we want to remember the gospel for ourselves, but we want to remember the gospel for them as well. That in Christ they can be forgiven. So we don't want to be like the people that were accusing Paul and not letting him into the church family because of a previous sin that he committed when that sin was forgiven on the cross. So he said, can any charge come against you? No. Can condemnation come? All right, this is a similar idea of making a charge, but it's a little bit different. Anyone can make a charge or accusation against you. Anybody can. But the idea of condemnation is that you are placing yourself in the judge's seat and you are condemning a person from God. You're saying, man, there is no way God would love you or give his son for you. Or, or there's no way Jesus would die for you. You, uh, you cannot have the with God life. That's condemnation. Charges, hey, I know who you are. I know what you did. Condemnation is, no, there's no chance for you. And, and, and Paul knew what this felt like as, as well, but it, it strikes me in the, the last kind of week of our nation's life as we're kind of debating a lot, I, I think there's been a, a lot of condemnation that a lot of people have felt. Uh, but when it comes to making a charge, an accusation, Paul appeals to Jesus' death. He says, who can make a charge against you Christ paid for that sin on the cross. When he talks about condemnation, he appeals to the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He says, here's what's true of, of condemnation, that Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for you and for me. So who has the right to condemn us and stand in the judge's chair? Who has the right to condemn us and judge us when we have a good graceful and benevolent savior who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. It's an amazing truth that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. And I think that charge and condemnation have the desire to separate us from God. But they don't have the ability when you understand Jesus and his grace. Charge and, and condemnation cannot separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. You just have to remember the gospel, that your sin is forgiven. You have a Savior that loves you so much. He's at the right hand of God interceding for you. saying, they're okay. They're in me. They're okay. They're welcomed into the family, and that's grace. So can charge, can condemnation, can trouble, persecution, nakedness, danger, sword. Can it separate us? Not unless we let it. Trouble in and of itself does not have the power to separate us. And the reason sometimes trouble does separate us is that we don't understand the with God and for God life as our primary purpose. Right? We, we, we settle for a less than purpose. And then when trouble and persecution come, comes, we, we get mad at God for what's happened to us because we mistakenly had our chief purpose and our chief mission in something else. But when you remember that your chief purpose is with God and for God, for his glory, it changes everything. And some of you, you have that story. That it was in trouble, it was in a time of trouble 
Not in a time of good times. It was in a time of trouble that you experienced God in a new and profound way. It was during hardship that you were able to give him honor and glory in a unique way. It was when times were tough that your faith really became real. Cheryl and I, um, my daughter Lila, her adoption day uh, is um, Wednesday, uh, July 6th. And we, were, we took a little trip to uh, Cincinnati to celebrate it because uh, for our kids' adoption days, we don't, do, we don't do gifts per se. We do experiences, and so we usually go to a zoo or, or whatever. And Cheryl and I were just kind of remembering uh, the supernatural ways that God brought our children. And, and sometimes when I articulate um, a pro-life position, or when I think through a pro-life position, this element of Cheryl and I's story feeds into it big time. Because we just, we're so grateful for birth mothers um, that ran into trouble. And they were scared and they were uncertain. And they decided to choose life first of all, but then they chose us second. Um, and uh, the, just the, 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 the supernatural ability to kind of lean into trouble. I said, I'm not going to run away from trouble. I'm going to lean into trouble and, and choose God's redeeming grace and, and choose my God who can make all things new and, 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 and turn all things for good. It's really encouraging to me. And we all have that ability at some point in our life that we can run away from trouble. And a lot of people do that. They, they, trouble um, is crushing. Or you can kind of lean into it a little bit and say, man, I know God is with me. And I know that, uh, that my with God and for God purpose can be enhanced in a time of suffering and in a time of difficulty. And, and, and it's just an absolutely ma- amazing thing to see people that do this, that it's in a time of cancer that they end up serving more people than they ever served before. It's in a time of unemployment that their testimony becomes more encouraging than their testimony ever was before. It was a time of relational discord and relational difficulty that uh, their, their uh, witness for Christ just went to the next level. And, and this is what God does during times of trouble. Now, none of us likes trouble, right? Who likes trouble, right? We go out of our way uh, to, to avoid trouble, but trouble doesn't need to separate us, and trouble also doesn't need for us to lose our mission and purpose. Our mission and purpose can be enhanced in times of trouble if your primary purpose is with God and for God. So Paul will actually take it a step further. He says, not only can trouble not separate us to be sure, but the with God and for, for God life, we don't just survive trouble, we become overcomers when it comes to trouble. I've always said that anybody facing trouble, any kind of trouble, I always wish I could just sit down with them and have a cup of coffee and say, I know it seems bleak. I know it seems hard. I know it seems overwhelming. But in God and with God, look at me. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. You serve one who has overcome death. 
and has overcome all things. You, you serve one whose spirit is inside of you, and he will help you to overcome. So I think a lot of times when people are in a season of trouble, they're making rash decisions because they're scared, and they're overwhelmed, and they're crushed by it. And if I could have coffee with just every single person that ever feels that way, and if you're feeling that way, I'd love to have coffee with you and just reassure you. It's going to be okay. It is. It's going to be okay. You think about how scared we were during, at the beginning of the pandemic. People kind of losing their minds. Look at us two years later. It's going to be okay. You look at, you know, I talked about the economic downturn that we're in right now. I'm getting old enough where I've been through a couple of these now, right? <laughs> I've been through a couple economic downturns, and every single time our hair's on fire. But guess what? We're okay. Bad health diagnosis, we're going to be okay. Even if the worst were to happen, we're going to be okay, right? Because we serve one who has overcome death, overcome the grave, and promises life to every person, this life or the next. Some of you remember uh, Silas Martin, um, a young man here, age 15, had brain cancer, and um, this church prayed and prayed for his healing, uh, diagnosis that was very difficult, um, and when it became kind of clear or obvious that maybe God wasn't going to do that, um, any of you that ever talked to Silas at 15 years old, you remember what he said, amazing perspective for a 15-year-old, God's going to heal me. If he doesn't heal me here, he'll heal me there. That's a with God perspective. That's a for God perspective. So let's not be crushed by our trouble. Let's not be overwhelmed by our trouble. Let's be overwhelmed by our God who conquers and makes things new and gives new life. And to remember, there is no condemnation in Christ. There is no charge in Christ. There is no overwhelming trouble in Christ. It's not that tr trouble doesn't come. It's there's no overwhelming trouble in Christ. Because of the power of his resurrection and the power of his grace, we can overcome. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And right now, I just want to pray for every person in this room that is um, feeling overwhelmed. I know when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he was feeling overwhelmed. Anybody feeling overwhelmed and crushed by sorrow or difficulty or heartache? That we would not become separated from you over that. That we would lean into it. And we would choose life in you. And that we would see this trouble, whatever it is right now, as an opportunity to give honor and glory and praise to your name. To not run away from it, but to lean into it and really leverage it for your glory. What can separate us from your love? Can charge? No. Can condemnation? No. Can trouble? No. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through you, Jesus, who loved us. And I, too, like Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any other powers, neither height nor death or anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love, from your love that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
may it be true for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. We're gonna right now remember this kind of moment in history, um, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're gonna be reminded that in Christ, there is no charge, there is no condemnation. Sins are forgiven in Christ, but also he didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the dead. And so in him, there is an overcoming power. You are an overcomer in Christ. And we're gonna remember both those things. And so our servers are gonna pass out communion And it's just an opportunity for you to thank God for his grace and thank God for his power. And then I'll come back up on the stage and we'll receive uh, communion together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for your power made perfect in our weakness. We're grateful for both. May we not receive any charge, may we not receive any condemnation, and may we not be crushed by trouble, but instead overcome it for the glory and praise of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing one last song. Uh, Happy Fourth, guys. Have a great weekend ahead of you. Thank you.